Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is producer Andrea Mengeli inviting you to join me in listening to host Lisa Cypress-Kamen as we focus on ageless beauty, what every woman over 40 needs to know about midlife sex, menopause, and more. Lisa's first guest today is Dr. Tara Allman. This conversation was originally recorded in the fall of 2017. My guest today, Dr. Tara Allman, is one of America's leading experts in midlife women's health. She is a board-certified gynecologist and nationally certified menopause practitioner, NCMP. Dr. Allman has educated thousands of medical professionals around the country in perimenopausal and menopausal medicine. A graduate of New York's prestigious Stuyvesant High School, Dr. Allman earned her bachelor's degree from Johns Hopkins University and her medical degree from the State University of New York at Stony Brook. She completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of California, San Francisco. And the book I am happy to be holding in my hands in reading is Menopause Confidential, A Doctor Reveals the Secrets to Thriving Through Midlife. Welcome, Dr. Tara Allman. Thanks for joining me. Well, that was a mouthful. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, girl, you've got a, you've got a mouthful of credentials, and plus, you're you're a woman yourself, clearly. And you know, you probably know what I'm talking about. Those whiskers. Yes, I, I know all about it, and soon your listeners will learn more about it if they don't yet already have some sense about what's coming in their future. I, I consider it a journey, really. Perimenopause and menopause is a really interesting confusing, sometimes frightening journey that we will all go through. Talk a little bit about that because we're not just talking about hot flashes and the cessation of the menstrual cycle. Correct. So I love it when I meet women who tell me they're all done with that menopause. Menopause, you're never all done with that menopause. So we should actually get all of your listeners on board with some good definitions. Midlife really is starting at about the age of 40, right? If our life expectancy for women on average is into our middle 80s, then midlife starts at 40, and it, uh, in terms of the perimenopausal journey, I really want your listeners to know the difference between perimenopause and menopause. Women who are perimenopausal, usually in their 40s, are still having menstrual cycles, but those cycles are changing. Uh, you may be skipping some or having them more frequently. They're shorter, they're lighter, they're heavier. They're changing, and with that comes a whole physiologic change where women don't feel well. Now we're journeying toward menopause. That perimenopausal journey can be four to eight years. So many women don't know anything about it. Why don't they feel well? 
Why can't they sleep? Why are they gaining weight? Why is their mood changing? A lot of things are changing. And menopause, by definition, with the average age being 51, is when your menstrual cycles have completely stopped. I like to think of it as when your ovaries retire. I think we should thank them for their service. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you? They've been working hard for many, many years for us, and now it's time for them to stop their duties. And we thank them, and we have to now live our lives as women who are no longer making estrogen. That is menopause, and that lasts from your last menstrual period until death do us part. So you're never all done with that menopause. And what women experience usually early on in menopause, most commonly, 80% of us will experience hot flashes. Sometimes they'll be very severe. Sometimes they'll be very mild. And that's what women think of when they think they're all done with that menopause. When they stop flashing, they think menopause is over. But it's so important for your listeners to know that life without estrogen has big picture issues like heart disease, bone disease, cognitive health and wellness, sexual health and wellness. So we have to be mindful of what's coming down the pike for all of us and what we can do today to ensure our health and wellness on the journey. Talk a little bit about that, about the the estrogen, the, the, the problem with estrogen and what kind of supplementation is safe for us to take. The perimenopausal group is different than the menopausal group because the perimenopausal ovary is still producing estrogen. I like to think of the perimenopausal ovary as either being deaf or rogue. It's just not listening nicely to the brain signals. So you're not getting regular estrogen to your brain. And that's really this hormonal roller coaster ride for the perimenopausal group, again, usually in your 40s. That's the physiology going on there. You're still making estrogen, sometimes too much and sometimes too little. That group, the treatment options to help smooth the ride out for you are different than the group in menopause when you're no longer making estrogen from your ovaries. So for the perimenopausal group, here comes a big clinical pearl. Listen up, perimenopausal ladies. If you are not a smoker, and of course you should not be a smoker for any reason at all, if you're not a smoker, you are a candidate for a low-dose birth control pill taken continuously. That's differently than when we used to take birth control pills as younger women. Uh, We don't get a break as the perimenopausal girl. We take an active pill every day of the week, every day of the month, every day of the year. That smooths the roller coaster ride and puts you on a nice even tram ride. That is really the best solution for the perimenopausal symptomatic woman. Now we are journeying to the menopausal woman who's no longer having menstrual periods and maybe experiencing debilitating hot flashes or night sweats or fatigue because of poor non-restorative sleep, or mood changes. Many, many changes will happen for this group as well. And the big question I think I'm hearing you ask me is, can, can and should women use hormone therapy? We've heard many terrible, frightening stories about estrogen causing breast cancer. And where do women find the correct answer for themselves? So here comes yet another clinical pearl for your listeners, which is that when you get to this stage of life, over 40, it's time to graduate from your beloved obstetrician's office, the person who you've known for many years, who's delivered all your babies, and who you've told all your secrets to. You really do need to find a gynecologist or healthcare professional who focuses on midlife women's health 
so that you can really get the best information and the best choices for your own particular journey. I'm going to also uh, invite your listeners to go to menopause.org. It's the North American Menopause Society website uh, for really the best, most up-to-date information on what are the best practices, evidence-based, scientifically based, because women do a lot of snooping around the internet, especially in the middle of the night when they're, <laughs> so when they're flashing and they're sweating and they're miserable. And, and the most searched word, by the way, is hot flash, two, two concepts, menopause and hot flashes are the two most searched terms in the middle of the night for this, for both the perimenopausal crowd and the menopausal crowd. And of course, uh, I'm going to invite your listeners to read Menopause Confidential, which I wrote all by myself uh, as a 50-year-old girl. I'm now a 52 and three-quarter-year-old girl. I'm right on the journey with all of you. I have lived through it uh, and all the secrets of all of the changes that you will experience. Everything is revealed. Uh, you no longer have to be frightened. All the questions about hormone therapy and all the concerns, it's all answered easily and in an understandable way. Let's talk a little bit about, I call them power surges. I'm like over calling them hot flashes because I, I feel like sometimes I'm an infrared sauna. I just sit there and I schwitz. So yeah. I thought, how can I reframe this? I'm like, no, no, I'm power surging. You know, this is a lot more palatable to me. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but I, I like that you've put a positive spin. I happen to think the perimenopausal menopausal time is the best time of women's lives. And I really feel that emphatically. So if you want to call your flashes, power surges, I say, you do that, sister. So many of us get flattened rather than empowered by our power surges, especially if you're right run, if you have a talk show or a radio show and you're in the <laughs> middle of a thought and now you can't recall what you were going to say, right? Or you're in the meeting or you're taking care of your children. So it, it is a difficult time, but we, I do believe, as you suggest, that what, whatever is going on in this part of our journey, let's get our information Let's empower ourselves. Let's find the right healthcare provider to partner with us so that we can make good health choices from now until the end of time. At <laughs> the end of time, let's talk about one more little gift of this process. We're going to go to a break, but I want to just sort of drop a little bomb. I am, you know, a pretty happy person. I would have to be to have a, a show like this. You know, we, we put a positive spin on life. The one thing that I've noticed in myself as I have these power surges is um, that there's like sometimes a toxic bomb <laughs> swelling up inside of me of rancor and mm -hmm. anger. Mm -hmm. That I'm like, don't mess with me. You get in my way, I'm going to take you out with my words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is that part of this? Yes. Uh, there are significant mood changes on the journey through perimenopause and menopause. In the perimenopausal group, there's so much hormonal fluctuation and so much chaos. Uh, I do like to point out to the perimenopausal women that oftentimes they're on their journey while their adolescent daughters, who are just beginning their own younger reproductive journey, are on the same crazy ride. So that is why it's so difficult for mothers and daughters to talk nicely with each other during these few years because you're both on a hormonally chaotic journey where you do feel rage or nuanced panic attacks or sadness. And uh, for the perimenopausal crowd, uh, it's also it's particularly difficult again when you still have 
children that you're raising and elderly parents you're caring for. Uh, and I just want uh, the, your listeners to know that there are solutions to help manage mood, health, and wellness in both perimenopause and menopause. It all starts with choosing healthy lifestyles. We should leave it at that if you have to take a break, and we can talk about the recommendations for midlife women in terms of healthy lifestyle choices. Yes, we are going to need to take that break, but before we dash off, I want to talk to you about Dr. Tara Allman's contact information. The book we're talking about today is Menopause Confidential, A Doctor Reveals the Secrets to Thriving Through Midlife. To learn more about Dr. Tara Allman, please visit her website, drtaraallman.com. On Twitter, she's at Dr. Allman. And on Facebook, Dr. Tara Allman. Before we go, Tara, we've got one more, like, one more little thought, one more little kernel, one more pearl that we could throw out to our audience and what would you say to the spouses and partners of us? <laughs> I say, your seatbelt. <laughs> uh, no, what I would say is uh, in Menopause Confidential, I have a chapter devoted to the men folk, which I've entitled Every Man Needs a Gynecologist, because I feel that every man needs a gynecologist. So ladies, if when you're reading along, you'll make sure that your male partners, if that's who your partner is, reads along with you on that chapter to help your journey and his journey along with you go a little bit more smoothly. Here comes the break. Lisa will be right back, and that's a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us right now, I urge you to download and share this episode. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, and available 24-7. We're talking about ageless beauty, what every woman over 40 needs to know about midlife sex, menopause, and more. Let's return to Lisa's conversation with Dr. Tara Allman that was recorded in the fall of 2017. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about that thing that us women of a certain age don't really want to talk about, but we must talk about. We're talking about Menopause Confidential. And my guest today, Dr. Tara Allman, who is the author of the book Menopause Confidential, A Doctor Reveals the Secrets to Thriving Through Midlife. I want to correct the website. To learn more about Dr. Allman, please visit dralman.com. Um, prior to the break, Tara mentioned that every man or every partner to someone who is going through perimenopause or menopause needs a gynecologist. And Dr. Tara Allman is our residential gynecologist that's going to help guide us all through this. So Tara, talk a little bit about how the practice of healthy and positive lifestyle is paramount to our all over or our total health through well, I, um, aging. I I think what happens, most every woman knows this really, we, we spend most of our uh, lives taking care of everybody else, our children, our parents, our spouses, our pets, our households, and then we hit our perimenopausal years, 40s, early 50s, into menopause, 50s and beyond, and uh, we don't feel well, and we haven't put ourselves on the list of things to do. And once that journey begins and you don't feel well, it really is a wake-up call to all of us. It's now time to put yourself 
maybe not number one on your to-do list, but get, uh, get yourself in the top five. And we all have to start doing the things that we all know we're supposed to be doing in terms of healthy eating and exercise. And there are specific recommendations for midlife women's health. For heart health, there's the American Heart Association's recommendation of 30 minutes of something aerobic five days a week. So everybody put the, write that down, everyone who's listening, 30 minutes of something aerobic five days a week. It could be as easy as brisk walking. You'll never see me walking leisurely anywhere. I'm trying to get my 30 minutes five days a week wherever I go. So I'm constantly walking briskly to try to make all of that activity count. And there are, all, there are other recommendations for, by, by the way, what's good for the heart is good for the brain. So for anybody who is concerned about dementia and Alzheimer's disease, the only scientific strategy that has been shown to be helpful to decrease your risk or improve your cognitive health and wellness, let me state it that way, is that aerobic exercise. So you're getting two bangs for your buck. Now, here's the other piece of that puzzle. Women feel so lousy as perimenopausal symptomatic women or menopausally symptomatic women. So nobody has the energy to get up and go and to eat healthily. So it's, it's that catch-22 or the chicken and the egg. What comes first? Do I seek some treatment to help improve my symptoms so that I now have the energy, I have restorative sleep, so I can do my exercise and eat more fruits and vegetables? Or do I just try to get, you know, do my healthy lifestyle changes that I know I have to do and just muscle through? That decision really is part of the discussion that you will have with your new and improved healthcare professional who's really focused on the midlife crowd, the over 40 crowd. So it's time to put yourselves on the list. All women know they have to do that, but now you really have to do that. Tick-tock on your clock. You know, there's no putting it off uh, anymore, and you'll have to find the time. There's just no getting around it. For me, I have been one of those women that has forged right through it. You know, hot flashes, poor sleep, irritability, brain fog, uh, whiskers, a little padding around the middle. Not much. I've kept that at bay because of the exercise, but I forged through it regardless. And I just tell myself, if I do this, I'm going to feel better. And guess what? I do feel better. Yes. Exercise and healthy eating really is the, the mainstay of all of for what we should all do. But I will say on behalf of the really symptomatic midlife crowd, sometimes you just can't do it. Sometimes you just feel so lousy. Sometimes your sleep is so poor. And uh, I wanted to mention that menopop that you mentioned, which is the weight gain that most midlife women will experience. And it redistributes right to our midsection. So now nothing fits properly. And it's very Uh, It's not motivating. And how you get that off, honestly, is you have to eat less and you have to eat more. And by that, I mean you have to eat less of everything you know you have to eat less of. And you have to eat more fruits and vegetables. And you have to aerobicize. You have to move, move, move in order to get that belly fat to, to, to reduce. But I would like your listeners to know that uh, weight gain in midlife is a function of both aging, which we can do nothing about, and our lifestyles, which we can do something about. And if you're not feeling well, uh, I, forgive yourself a smidgen. Start seeking solutions. For you, it was to power through your hot flashes and your poor sleep. And for me, I made a different choice as a 52 and three quarter year old woman. I w- I joined when I joined the perimenopausal club as a 45 year old woman. I got on the continuous low dose birth control pill regimen 
which how that works is you take it all the way till the age of 55. So every day, my brain is enjoying regular, reliable amounts of estrogen, which helps smooth out all the edges in terms of mood, in terms of sleep, uh, and certainly flashes and sweats. And, uh, and so everyone's going to make a different choice. You made your choice. I made a different choice. But we all have to make the healthy lifestyle choice. There's no getting around that choice. Agreed. And, and in your case, what happens at 55? You, you stop the pills? Do you taper down? Is something, that, something magical happens at 55. I throw myself a wonderful party because then I will join the menopause club. So we, women can safely be on a low-dose pill. Uh, We chose the age of 55 scientifically. If the average age of menopause is 51, plenty of girls are not average. So they're going to continue to have perimenopausal ovarian function beyond 51. So, But by 55, pretty much everyone's journeyed through it. I like to joke, except for maybe three women, but everybody else is done. (laughs) (laughs) So you just just stop your low-dose continuous pill. You just stop it at 55, and then you make a choice. Am I going to see if I'm symptomatic? Am I flashing? How's my sleep? How's my mood? Am I going to choose hormone therapy? And if I am, which one? Or am I not going to do that? Am I just going to eat well and do my best to practice good sleep habits? That becomes so critical in midlife. You can't stay up late every day. You have to really be mindful of healthy sleep choices every single day of the night. And issues like alcohol become even more important as we age because it's very sleep disruptive. So uh, I'll make a different choice maybe than uh, you will, but when it's my turn as a 55-year-old girl, after I've thrown myself a wonderful party to join the menopause club officially, I, will, I personally will start hormone therapy because I understand the risks, the benefits, and all the science, which your, re- your listeners will understand too when they read the chapter called Potions, Patches, and Pills. Oh, my. And the book we're talking about is Menopause Confidential. A doctor reveals the secrets to thriving through midlife. And Dr. Tara Alman, let me ask you an, a, another question. Since we're talking about sleep and the location that sleep takes place in, and that being the bedroom most of the time, let's talk about that other thing that uh, many women have a complicated relationship with as we age, and that being our sexuality and what happens to us physiologically and also psychologically where there may be some loss of interest or a spike in interest in some cases. Yeah, I would say that spike in interest is for the same three women. All the rest of us, it doesn't spike up. (laughs) It goes down. Uh, I have a chapter in Menopause Confidential called The Vagina is Like Las Vegas, Baby. And of course, all your listeners will (laughs) want to know why that is. (laughs) <laughs> uh, what, what, th- this is the reality for the perimenopausal and menopausal crowd. When, you are, uh, when you're taking care of the world, as we women do, and you're not feeling well because you're either on your hormonal roller coaster ride or your ovaries have retired, then uh, interest in sex is just not going to be where it was when you were in your 20s and 30s. We just don't make the same uh, estrogen or testosterone. That's a very important point your listeners should know that ovaries make testosterone too, and we make it beyond our last menstrual period. So even though we have stopped making estrogen when we have stopped menstruating, we are still making testosterone for a few more years, but the levels are much lower than we were when we were younger, 20, 30-somethings. And so we have to forgive ourselves. No, we're not going to be as libidinous as we once were. And now here comes a new important issue, which is vaginal dryness, which is inevitable. Everyone's vagina 
is going to dry out, like all your bits and pieces, your, all your skin, because estrogen is so very skin protective, so very vaginal health protective. And so there are natural solutions and remedies to maintain vaginal moisture. And in terms of intercourse, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. But I, not everybody has a partner. Not everybody likes their partner. Not everybody's partner doesn't have erectile dysfunction. So I always tell my own patients that girlfriends can do it for themselves. This is the first time you're going to hear this, many of your listeners, but you really have to take good care of your own vagina. Somebody has to tell you to do it. Nobody, you didn't know you were supposed to, but you will, re- you will read about what you're supposed to do in the vaginas like Las Vegas because you don't want your vagina to get dry and dainty and delicate because Pain with sex is the worst uh, of the worst in terms, you'll have no interest in sex if sex is painful. So we have to start there with vaginal health and wellness. And, uh, and then in terms of, you know, feel, sleep and, you know, if you're, if you're fatigued, if you're not in a wonderful relationship, if you're stressed out, if you're not making healthy lifestyle choices, if you have extra uh, around your middle and not feeling, uh, you know, as, as beautiful or sexy as you once did. These are all, one has to know, midlife women, listen clearly. You could have a wonderful and healthy sex life if you want it. So start there. I, and, and I, and I do agree. I do agree with that. And also, you know, I think as interest can wane or it, it, it can, it can pe- have peaks and valleys, you know, our partners might need to step up a little bit. Like I, I, I have told my partner in the past, listen, honey, if you can stir it up, you can have it. <laughs> you know? I, I am like, you know, like dead, like a dog, but go for it. And it, that's another part of it. You know, like people will rally to the occasion if, if somebody shows interest. You know, I really feel like uh, if we're talking about male partners, I like to talk about them like the men folk. The men folk need a little bit of information. They don't know anything. Women don't know anything either, and, and the men folk know even less. So we really have to help them and communicate with them what we're experiencing, what we're feeling, what our needs are. It becomes even more critical in this stage of our lives so that men can be more helpful, just as you say. You know, if if you can get me to, if you can stir up my pot, uh, you know, I'll be ready to boil for you. So, uh, so we, it it becomes more, more critical, the art of communication with our partners, both male and female. And I think, you know, that sort of, it brings us to the close of this segment, but also brings it down to the, the elemental part of happiness, which is having these good, close, connected, deep relationships on every level at every age and taking responsibility for our role as women in perimenopause or many menopause to ensure that we do that for ourselves and for those that are close to us. Um, I've been speaking with Dr. Tara Allman. She is the author of Menopause Confidential, A Doctor Reveals the Secrets to Thriving Through Midlife. She is a board-certified gynecologist. And I'm going to say, Tara, if it's okay with you, the Harvesting Happiness Gynecologist in Residence, if that's I okay. I love it. I'm, I'm honored. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think we need one around here. And you are a natural nationally certified menopause practitioner. To learn more about Dr. Tara Allman, you can visit her website at drtaraallman.com. On Twitter, she's at Dr. Tara Allman. And on Facebook, Dr. Tara Allman. Before we dash out of here, is there one more pearl that you can add to the, to the necklace that we are making here for a happy life as we age? 
Oh, I do love jewelry. Thank you for this Me too. <laughs> I do love a Me nice too. necklace. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, I do want to reiterate, do not lose hope. A lot of women try a strategy and it doesn't work for them and they get very frustrated. Ladies, don't lose hope and don't get frustrated. Give every strategy that you're trying to improve, whatever your particular symptoms are, give everything three months. If it's not going to improve, if you want to eat grapefruits and stand on your head to try to improve your hot flashes, you can do that. But if it doesn't help after three months, it's not going to. So then you have to move along to the next strategy. And of course, everybody over the age of 40, both men and women should read Menopause Confidential. And the book is, as we're saying, Menopause Confidential, A Doctor Reveals the Secrets to Thriving Through Midlife. Thank you, Dr. Tara Alvin. We're going to have you back again. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Time to hit that break. Lisa will be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. back to the show. This is producer Andrea Mingali sitting in for our host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. If you're joining us just now, we're talking about ageless beauty, what every woman over 40 needs to know about midlife sex, menopause, and more. Lisa's next guest is Dr. Emily Schreier. Let's take a listen to their conversation originally recorded in late 2017. Dr. Emily Schreier is an assistant professor in the Department of Human Development at California State University, Long Beach. She received a Ph.D. in social psychology at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. Dr. Schreier's expertise is in the area of adult development and aging. Her research explores psychological, social and cultural processes involved in maintaining happiness and well-being across the adult life course. Welcome, Dr. Schreier. Thank you, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. So happy to have you. This is, you know, because I'm in the the ripe, juicy middle of this myself, I'm quite interested on how we can maintain the right healthy attitude as we age and, and keep our sexuality alive. Well, I think one of the most important things to do to keep your sexuality and your life happy as you get through as you go through uh, middle age and older life is to keep a really positive perspective on what's going to happen as we age to maintain our sense of well-being and happiness and vitality and and just a general sense of positivity as we approach um, the later part of our lifespan. Well, what's interesting about what you've just shared are, are two things. First, I want to talk about the U-curve study that was done many years ago uh, about aging and happiness. But before I, I ask you about that, I want to inquire from your academic perspective and research perspective, what happens when we see people who are not aging well? You know, we might have parents or grandparents who have not cared for themselves well, and we see the descent into old age and the spinal destination is not a happy or good one. How, how do we um, um, counterman that? 
I think we see sometimes um, people in our lives who maybe aren't doing quite as well in later life, um, quite as well in terms of their journey into older age. And we see them and we think that perhaps that's also our our journey and our path. But yeah. I think what people forget is that there's a lot of different pathways to to like through life. And in fact, we actually get more different as we get older. Uh, the journeys and the pathways that we have through life really become more and more diverse the older we get. And so you'll see one person who maybe isn't doing quite as well. And then you don't tend to maybe focus on the other people who are doing really well, the Jane Fondas in life who are, you know, 79 and still really vital and really happy. And so we tend to focus maybe too much on the negative. We tend to focus too much on that one person who's not doing quite so well. You make a very good point, you know, focusing on the Jane Fonda's or the Helen Mirren's or these kinds of, of icons that we see in the media that have aged not only gracefully, but have gotten better as they yes. have aged. Yeah, you make, a, you make a good point there. Let's talk for a minute about the U-curve. And I'm sure you're familiar with that study. Some of our listeners might not be. So maybe you could share a little bit about that and your findings. Sure. So one of the things that we know, so we have a stereotype that as people get older, they become less happy, right, with life. But in truth, what happens seems to happen across the lifespan is that, in fact, there can be a bit of a dip in happiness around midlife. But when we as we start getting older, we actually become more happy and more satisfied with life. And so when you're looking at happiness across the lifespan and you're looking at people in their 60s and 70s and 80s, they actually tend to report really quite high levels of happiness and satisfaction with life. And do you attribute that to the amount of responsibility, um, raising children, the stressors of trying to do it all um, at that phase of life that tends to dampen our happiness? Yes, around midlife, we have a lot of things on our plate, right? We have our children that we're trying to take care of. And sometimes we're also providing care for our parents and we have a lot of responsibilities at work. So there's tends to be a little bit of a dip right around your 40s, um, where you just have a lot to, to deal with. And so what happens as we get into later life is that some of those responsibilities are, in fact, uh, relieved. You have you don't have the same kind of childcare responsibilities. You have more flexibility in terms of your life. And so there tends to be this increase in happiness when we get towards our later life. And what about sexuality? You know, is there any correlation between a dip in sexuality during that period because we have so much going on that we feel less likely to want to, you know, play around or and we've got a hormonal shift in women in particular? What's up with that? Well, there there is a there is a dip in midlife in terms of um, when you obviously when you have a lot in your plate, when you have a lot of stressors, there can be a little bit of a decline in your opportunity to have sex and your, your sort of your interest in sex. When we're really busy, when we're really stressed, maybe we're not quite as interested in sex. And certainly when we don't have those stressors, when we have a little bit more free time, then we have time for everything, including, of course, having sex and enjoying sex. And, and, and I think that's a challenge for many people. As we age, we live in such a busy society. There, there's a lot pulling at our attention. And I find that um, when one is in that space, and I hear this not just from my own self, but in clients that I work with, where they say, you know, I just, it's just like, oh, I'd rather sleep. I'd rather watch a movie. I'd rather have a, give myself a break. Right. When, when, in fact, the sex is so good for our bodies and our brains. 
Right. I mean, it's so important for your relationships. It's so important for your enjoyment in life. But when you're tired, when you've had a lot of other things happen throughout that day, sometimes the urge is just to go home and sleep. It's not to maybe go home and um, be intimate with your partner. Let's talk a little bit about subjective age. You know, the difference between what our driver's licenses tell us and what we feel. Right. So there's this really interesting psychological phenomenon that um, throughout our lifespan, we don't always feel the same age that we are. And it tends to shift across the lifespan. So when you're talking about people who are in their teen years, oftentimes 16, 17, 18-year-olds will feel a little bit more mature than they actually are. But around your 30s, that starts to shift where you start feeling, on average, people tend to feel a little younger than they are. And by the time we get to about the age of 40, on average, most people feel around 20% younger than they actually are. And it, this thing, this thing where we feel younger than we are is actually pretty important because it's associated with a lot of really positive things. So if you feel younger than you are, it's associated with living longer. It's associated with being happier in life. It's associated with a lot of really important health outcomes. And how does the attitude impact our overall health and well-being? Having um, a positive attitude, feeling young, and also believing that aging is not a bad thing. It's actually the combination of both of those things. It's about maintaining um, a really happy and positive attitude towards life and feeling younger than you are, but also believing that growing older is not such a bad thing. It's those two things, both of those things, that seem to be really important for maintaining your happiness and health in, well, in later life. I have a question uh, or, or really a, a comment about North Americans in particular. In North America, and I'm not so sure about in Canada, we really prize youth, right? So this, this the, the beautiful live model is the epitome of happiness and success and perfection. And for women in their 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, that image is not the reality. And if and if the media tells us, well, that's what aging should look like, you know, that perfection, getting maybe a few stray gray hairs, none of us will ever measure up. None of us will ever be happy. And I do see this a lot. And I'm sure you do, too. Absolutely. I see it all the time. People see these unrealistic expectations and they don't feel like they can quite measure up. And, and what's the antidote? Is it, is it how do we change the perspective on aging in America in particular? Well, I think part of it's going to be seeing more older people on television, seeing people more, more women who are middle aged, more women who are older of all different types of body shapes and all different ages on the television, in advertisements, seeing maybe not so quite so many images of perfection so that people can have more models of what it means to age and what it means to age well. I, I agree with you, but I think this is a challenge. I mean, maybe things will shift now that, um, sort of the sex, sexism in, in Hollywood is, is on the table and people are coming, uh, coming uh, clean about what's really going on behind the scenes. But I think you're fighting an uphill battle, not you particular, but we are, because um, beauty is so prized. Youth is so prized. It's a billion-dollar you know, industry for cosmetics and, and, and skincare creams. And it's not a bad thing. They're, they're, they're quite fun. But um, do we have unrealistic expectations about being able to maintain beauty and age well or gracefully? And should we say, forget about it, let's go gray and, and let the wrinkles rain? I think it's probably 
somewhere in the middle there. Um, I think we definitely do have these unrealistic models. And I hope that with everything that's happening in Hollywood, um, with all of our new opportunities for different types of media and different types of television shows that you're seeing nowadays with different kinds of representations of people of all ethnicities and ages. I hope that that really does have an impact on people's uh, way of looking at themselves. But it certainly is, I think, an uphill battle. And I think one of the things that we do have to do, perhaps as women, is we do have to be more comfortable and more accepting of the gray hairs and maybe not quite fight them quite as much. Not only the gray hairs, it's it's the the whiskers and the cellulite yes. and the cur- and the curves that weren't there that are there now. And right. I think that's that's very challenging for many people to embrace. Well, once my body was this, and now it's that, and it's pretty hard to feel sexy um, when you're thinking that isn't beautiful. Definitely. And I think we just have to come to love our cellulite a little bit more and and love our stretch marks a little (laughs) bit more and be more positive about each other's stretch marks and cellulites and gray hairs. You know, I think that's it. Embrace that is worth loving. And and, and not just for women, but for men, too. I mean, I, I think that men are actually more forgiving towards women and their curves than women are. Yeah, I think that's true. I think sometimes we're hardest on each other when it comes to imperfections. Agreed. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Emily Schreier. And we're going to talk about her article, The Effects of Subjective Age and Aging Attitudes on Mid to Late Life Sexuality. Here comes the break. Lisa will be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation between host Lisa Cypress-Kamen and guest Dr. Emily Schreier as they talk about ageless beauty, what every woman over 40 needs to know about midlife sex, menopause, and more. Dr. Schreier, talk a little bit about the article and some of your co-authors and your findings. Um, So this is a paper that I co-authored with Stephen Malk from the University of Waterloo and Amy Steele, who was a graduate student at the University of Waterloo, as well as Richard Eibach, who's also a professor at the University of Waterloo. And this is a project where we were interested in looking about the effects of a thing called subjective age, which is, of course, how old you feel inside, and also how people felt about aging, their perspectives on aging, on their experiences of sex over time. 
And so what we did in this study is we looked at people over the course of 10 years. And this is using data from an online existing study called the Midlife in the U.S. study. And so what we did was we looked at how people's feelings of subjective age, how old they felt inside, how it affected their um, both their attitudes towards sex, their interest in sex, and how frequently they had sex over the course of 10 years. And we also looked at their attitudes towards aging, whether they saw aging as a more positive or a more negative thing. We looked at how that also affected their experience and interest in sex over time. And what we found, which I think was really interesting, was we found that how old people felt inside had a really important effect on their interest and the quality of sex that they had over time. So people who felt younger inside said that they, they maintained better quality of sex as they got older, and they were more interested in sex as they got older. And we found the same thing was true for those people who uh, had more positive views about aging. So those people who felt that aging was a good thing, was a positive thing, they maintained a better quality of their sex life as they got older. Fascinating. And, and I think the, the, the upside of aging is the ability for one to feel more at, at home in one's skin, right? So there's less concern about what others think or social comparison. I mean, we're hard enough on ourselves, right? We don't really yes. need an external choir. <laughs> to, Absolutely. So the idea that we can be more um, um, self-possessed in a positive way, I, I definitely see how that correlates with having a uh, higher level of satisfaction with, with one's sexuality. Talk about the quantity of sex that we're having as we age. Sure. So we do have a little bit less sex as we age, but people who are interested in having sex at a younger age do continue to have sex at an older age. So the quantity of sex that we have goes down a little bit, but not by a huge amount, by maybe once less a month that people tended to have sex a little bit less as they got older. But the people who were having sex when they were younger and they were having sex more frequently, they continued to have sex when they got older. Okay, that's really good to know. <laughs> my my partner is going to be very happy. You know, he's going to he's going to he's going to feel like this was well well worth our time on the radio. Menopause, perimenopause, and menopause, and hormonal shifts, not just in women but in men too. Because I think there is a myth out there that it is just the women, but men also go through these shifts. Yes, they do. Absolutely. So there are shifts in terms of our, our hormonal levels. Um, and that's true for both men and women as they age. It happens a little bit differently, of course, for men and women. For men, it tends to be a little bit more gradual. For women, there is a little bit more of an abrupt shift, I think, in midlife. But for both men and women, there can certainly be changes in hormones. And those hormonal level shifts do affect our the frequency with which we have sex and perhaps to a lesser extent our interest in having sex. But but it sounds like that if if the interest is there when you're younger, the interest usually remains when you're older. And I find that really promising. Yeah, we don't suddenly become different people when we grow older. If we like and enjoy sex when we're younger, then that those same kind of urges and those same kind of desires are still going to be there when we're older. Well, you know, it's interesting, like if you look at um, retirement homes or uh, assisted living facilities, a a single male is a prized commodity in those places, right? And there's Indeed, a reason yes. for it. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that. I mean, because we think of, of aging, but I'm talking about old, old, like yes. 80s and 90s. There's no uh, physiological reason to stop doing it. 
absolutely not. As long as you're still enjoying it, you should still keep doing it. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, we don't become asexual when we grow older. We still enjoy the sex, and there's nothing wrong with having sex when you're 80 or 90 or 100 or however old you are. If it's something that you enjoy, you should still keep on doing it. And it, it brings happiness. It actually brings a chemical response in the body that elevates our well-being levels. I mean, there's compelling reasons why we should be doing it. Yep, there is. It's better for your health. It's good for your relationships. Um, it helps people be happy. And so all those things are really important. And it's important to maintain that across the lifespan, no matter how old you are. So I've got a couple of questions about, um, uh, like, if you were to give somebody some tips or tools to, to, to grow gracefully with besides attitude, what would you say? Go home and practice what? Um, I mean, a lot of it is attitude. And of course, it's part of it's maintaining your health. That's really important. Make time for yourself. Make time for um, doing the things that you really enjoy doing, um, doing the activities that you really enjoy doing, and spend time with other people. So that's another really important thing. Um, something that's really important for maintaining your health as you grow older is to, to constantly be engaging with other people and to be interacting with other people and to maintain a really good social network hang out with your friends, spend time with your family. Those are going to be some of the important things that help you maintain your health and well-being as you grow older. And when we talk about meaning also, I'm thinking of a study that was done by Dr. Ellen Langer at Harvard many years ago, and it, it, it had to do with um, people who were living in a nursing home that I believe were given plants to care for and the impact that the, that the care of the plants caused on their overall well-being, the fact that they had to be responsible for the plant, water the plant, and tend to it, gave them something something of meaning to do. Talk a little bit about the importance of that. Yeah, we need to maintain a sense of control over our lives. So what sometimes happens when people go into nursing homes, um, and that's what that study found, was that they go into these nursing homes and then all of their control is taken away, all of their choices are taken away, and they're, they're told they're going to be taken care of. But when somebody is taking care of you, it takes away your kind of sense of your control over your own your own life. It takes away your goals and your desire to continue to engage with life. And so what happens when you take those things away is that people people become passive and they kind of start to decline. And so one of the really important things in life and it, one of the really important things in terms of aging is for people to always have a sense that they control their life, to be able to make decisions about their own life and to maintain their impetus to do stuff and to stay engaged in life um, in throughout the, the lifespan. And that that's if you're in a nursing home or if you're living independently. You want to maintain those goals, maintain that sense of independence, regardless of what kind of living situation you're in. It's interesting you say that. I had a friend who had a mom who lived till she was, I think, 99 or 100. And every day she would get up and rake leaves. That was her that was her job. And 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 the fact that she was able to get up and rake leaves at that age certainly contributed to her longevity. It gave her a sense of purpose, it gave her exercise, it gave her fresh air and vitamin C and vitamin D and all the good stuff you get from nature bathing. And she, this was the light of her day each day. 
Yes, my own grandmother is, I think she just turned 97, and she lives completely independently, and I think that's part of the thing that keeps her going, is the fact that she makes her own decisions. If she wants to get up in the morning, and if she wants to go and uh, plant her garden, then she can do that, and she really maintains an aspect of every part of her life, and she sets goals for herself. Um, She wrote a book um, about a couple of years ago, she took courses in later life. She took, she got her um, university degree when she was in her 80s. And those are the things that really keep her going and really allow her to maintain her life and her sense of independence and, and really help to in- keep her well-being. Oh, I bet she's an amazing woman to sit and talk with. Yes, absolutely. She's wonderful and hilarious and very, very wise. Wow. Very, very cool. Yeah, I think that it's the showing up. You know, if we were have to, to summarize all of this, it really, you, you speak to attitude, which is where we started our conversation, but it's like, how are we going to show up for life? Yeah, it, it really is all about showing for life and um, staying engaged with life and being that person who is still present, no matter how old you are. Yeah. So practicing presence would be the other yes. tip, right? Definitely. <laughs> Wow. Well, I, I hope you'll come back and hang out with me. I, this, these kinds of conversations are inspiring to me because I, I feel like for many of us who are in the ripe, juicy middle of life, we want to know that there are good things to look forward to, that it's not, you know, ache, it's not aches, pains and doctor's appointments, that the flip side of that is this very fulfilling, um, satisfying life experience, no matter what age we are. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I'm in the middle of that point where I'm in the middle of my life as well. And I think it's really important to to have a good perspective on life and understand that our life remains happy and fulfilling, um, regardless of where we are at it. And we can still maintain a really good sense of, of happiness. We can still stay active. We can still stay, stay happy and fulfilled people, whether we're 60 or 70 or 90 or 100. And more of us are going to start living to be in our hundreds. There's are, no reason, yes. no reason not to. And keeping moving is definitely, I think, one of the, one of the ways we get there. Dr. Emily Schreier, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is producer Andrea Mingeli. On behalf of our host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, and her guests, Dr. Tara Allman and Dr. Emily Schreier, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, I'll leave you with Lisa's advice. Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.